and welcome to the Bauble Festooned Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. As Dickens put it, Christmas is a time when want is keenly felt. We've recorded quite a few bunkers recently that have made me angry. Angry about the state of this country, about the bad and ignorant decisions politicians have taken, and the suffering that's resulted. If you're a regular bunker listener, you probably feel the same way. And this Christmas, we wanted to highlight the work of three charities that try to alleviate some of the suffering we see. The first was suggested by Bunker regular Arthur Snell. Arthur, you chose Smart Medical Aid. Tell us why you chose that charity. Yeah, so of course, I'm sure lots of people would love to do something that could have an impact in Ukraine. And it's sometimes difficult to know what to support. But Smart Medical Aid is a brilliant charity. It's founded by Dr. Irina Ribinkina. She is a Ukrainian surgeon who actually lived in the UK for decades, uh, up until the war, actually. And then she relocated back to Ukraine. And what they do is they get medical supplies right to the front line. They've managed to ship 800 tons of medical supplies to hospitals and clinics and people who need it right where the fighting has happened. And they are a very small and tightly run charity. I've actually met Irina when she came on a fundraising trip to the UK. So it's one of those organizations where you know exactly what money you're giving and where it goes and how it will make a difference. Thanks, Arthur. And we'll hear from Irina Ribinkina now. Joining me is Irina Ribinkina, the CEO of Smart Medical Aid. You were a surgeon until the war, weren't you, Irina? I was a doctor in the NHS. I was a surgeon for eight years of that career. And for the rest of my career, for the whole 10 years, I was an anaesthetist. And when the war broke out, you decided to set up Smart Medical Aid. Yes. When the war broke out, I was on my cardiothoracic fellowship in New Zealand, actually. We went with the family for a year to have a little getaway. And we actually managed to be there only for a month and the war started. And I've resigned on day seven of the war and I just literally couldn't stay away so far. And That's how Smart Medical Aid was born. And the work you do is really on the front line, isn't it? Yeah, I I go to the front line a lot. I just recently came back from the Donetsk area where I inspected and brought lots of supplies for frontline hospitals. We work with medics who are on the front line with the evacuation teams. And what I am able to deliver is very different because using my skills of working within trauma centers, biggest trauma centers in NHS, I can see what the requirement and what can be introduced to save more lives. So, for example, like fluid warmers that they don't have, or they have the equipment without the disposables, I'm able to provide that expertise and actually fundraise and raise funds to procure it elsewhere in the world and bring it to Ukraine. What's it like on the ground in Ukraine at the moment? So we are really struggling because there is scarce electricity supplies, 70% of the infrastructure is hit. As we speak today, Kiev was under major attack, and currently I think 3 million people are without electricity or water. So when the electricity is not there, the connection is not there, it's impossible to call anyone or to do any work as such. But for us, on the ground... The main thing that we do and the main thing how we survive is with the thought that we are here to win this war. So no matter what, no matter the rockets, the um, missile strikes, people continue to fight whichever corner they can. So I'm fighting my own medical corner, someone providing supplies, food and other things. We are there to provide help 
for the military medics, for those who are remaining on the front line, for the people who cannot be evacuated or are disabled and left without any help. So we, we do anything and everything we can to provide care, food, water, medical treatment for those who are wounded and who are also in that particular area. It's not just equipment, is it? You're doing a lot of training with medics as well. Yes, yes. So we now set up loads of courses, medical courses, first aid courses. We are running a big social project where, a matter of fact, we are installing ADs in different cities and provide this first aid training for the population. And it's not just first aid training. We include the tourniquet, stop the bleed training there because it is an essential skill that everyone should have in Ukraine these days. You're not safe anywhere in Ukraine. There can be a missile strike actually every part in any city. So we are providing that essential skill for the people who want it. And we do a lot of also training for first aid for military medics. It's a special first aid. It's where you know how to apply a tourniquet, how to stop the bleeding, how to do the initial things that would actually save lives on the front line before the medic can even get to you. Did you ever expect to be doing this? You know, as we're speaking now, I realize it's been 10 months, 10 months of this war. And I never thought, and I was never prepared, no matter how many major, I don't know, major trauma training we did or simulations, I never thought that I would do this. Because actually, it's quite hard because I've left my little children who are three and 10. And my husband is a single father these days looking after our kids in the Netherlands because I cannot bring them to Ukraine. It is not safe. And also I work 20 hours a day. So I am not there for them. So I basically abandon them. And, and as a mother, I, I struggle with that thought every day. But you know, there are children in Ukraine that do need help. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, just thinking about it, making me very emotional. Mm. Irina, thank you so much for talking to us and for taking the time when you're so busy. And we wish you all the best of luck. And we hope that you're reunited with your family soon. So take care. Thank you so much. And you can donate to the charity at smartmedicalaidoronword.org. Our next charity is one you may not have heard of either. Generally, parents look after their children, but sometimes parents fall ill and it's the children who have to do the caring. Honeypot supports those kids. Holly is 10 and her brother has had cancer. I like how Honeypot can give you support when sometimes when you need it the most. And I, when my brother was ill with cancer, I felt like he got everything. He got everything. But Honeypot gives you that feeling that Luke or your brother, sister, or sick sibling isn't the only person who matters. It gives you a chance to be free and stop worrying about things. I worry a lot, and breaks for honeypot just make me feel like I belong to something bigger than I feel like I do. I talked to Honeypot's communications director, Anthony Cummings, about the work they do. What's it like for these kids, Anthony? Thank you, Roz. That's a, a very good question. It goes to the heart of the issue. For many young carers, that's their life. It's amazing, but when you speak to them, they don't think they're doing anything out of the ordinary. And that's very, very humbling because they're giving of themselves. They're keeping families together. And most of all, they're dedicating their lives 
as a child to fulfilling the responsibilities that are really an adult role. I'm sure we all have happy childhood memories that we carry with us into adulthood and make us the people we are. Young carers lose out on making happy childhood memories and are often stressed, anxious, socially isolated. They have poor confidence and low self-esteem due to having no time to form friendships and make friends. Honeypot's there to support young carers. And what kinds of things do you organise for them? We organise a range of wraparound support services to help children make happy childhood memories and build brighter futures. How do we do this? Well, we have four main services. We provide stress-busting residential respite breaks at our beautiful houses in Pennybryn, Mid Wales, for Welsh children and children in the northeast of England. We have Honeypot House near Exbury in the New Forest for young carers in the south, London in the south. And we have our new house in New Cumnock, Ayrshire, for Scottish young carers living in the Central Belt. We provide after-school and weekend swarm clubs online to alleviate the loneliness and isolation young carers experience. These young carers make friends like you hear from Amelia, who made a best friend at swarm club. Our social and emotional active learning breaks build children's confidence and self-belief that they can succeed in education. That's often lacking with young carers. It's not the ability, it's the self-belief. And we help them to build a brighter future through having the confidence to succeed in education and the resilience and the self-belief. And finally, our well-being and health eating grants provide disadvantaged young carers who lack the basic essentials in life, like new school clothes or a fresh, clean bed to sleep in. We provide those. And very many of our young carers receive free school meals during term time, but survive on sugary drinks and snacks over school holidays, we provide them with healthy meals over school holidays. Amelia has been supported by Honeypot for a few years and is 13 now. On her first Honeypot break, she met another young carer and they have been firm friends ever since. Here's a message from her. Dear Honeypot, thank you for letting me have a stress-free place to retreat to, even just for a weekend or an hour-long Zoom call. Every moment I spent at Honeypot, I felt secure and loved. The people there were incredible. Their smiles and kindness, they were people that I trusted. I don't think I could ever forget them. I bonded with one of my closest friends for you, and I'm so thankful that you helped that friendship flourish. The memories I've made whilst on Honeypot breaks, I've shared and will remember forever. I'm so grateful that you didn't stop during lockdown. You found a way around the restrictions. Swarms have been the highlight of my week all through lockdown. Whatever I did whilst I was in Swarm, I did it with a smile. I didn't worry about what was going on downstairs. I would be excited and bouncy after leaving them, just as I was after the breaks. Thank you for everything you have given me. The support you have given means so much. I love that you have never forced me to talk about things. I know that if I ever needed it, I could have reached out to you and you would have helped. Thanks again, Amelia. More fundamentally, Anthony, why is it up to you and kids to do this care? So Honeypot has been there for young carers for 26 years. 26 years ago, young carers were not on the radar, really not on the radar. It's becoming more of a recognised challenge that needs to be addressed. And government has put in a lot of money into defining the magnitude of the problem. Many research 
initiatives have established that the size of the issue is monumental. There's 800,000 young carers in England and Wales alone and 100,000 in Scotland. So that's where government have put their attention, but it's not really translated into funding for services. There is a, a mechanism that we were very excited about. Every five years, there's a government five-year young carer strategy, and we, we wait with bated breath to see what that is. And within the last five-year strategy, there was a provision that all young carers should receive an assessment by a social work team at the time when the cared for person is receiving their assessment, the assessment of their needs. And this is called the whole family assessment. Unfortunately, and incredibly sadly, that just hasn't quite translated yet. We know from our own research and from other research that it's about one in five children get whole family assessments. So if their needs aren't being assessed, their needs aren't being met. And that's where Honeypot comes in. And we're glad to come in to help these young carers to provide the range of services I've just mentioned to meet their basic needs. Anthony, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you, Ros. If you'd like to support Honeypot, they're at honeypot.org.uk. The last of our chosen charities is one you've probably heard of. Anyone can use it, and every 10 seconds someone does. It's a charity that means a lot to me because my mum was a Samaritan. Joe Bookbinder works at the Samaritans. So Joe, what do Samaritans do that other people don't? So I feel like we are one of the few sort of support organisations that are truly available 24-7, so every day of the year, and our volunteers respond to a call every 10 seconds, so we are really busy every day, every hour really. I was going to say, I think a second thing that sets us apart, and this is quite surprising for a lot of people, is our listening volunteers don't actually provide any advice or tips when someone contacts us, but they actually support callers through active listening and asking open questions, which I think is quite unusual. I think people want or think or expect to get some kind of help or guidance, but it's actually very much asking opening questions to allow that person to explore their own thoughts and feelings and to really examine the situation or the challenges they're facing and come up with their own solutions, perhaps make their own decisions. It sounds kind of basic when you put it like that, but we see how effective it is every day. What kinds of things do people talk to you about that they feel perhaps they can't share with others? So we hear from all kinds of concerns, everything pretty much under the sun. And just to explain, roughly one in five calls to us involves suicidal thoughts or intentions, which is perhaps lower than most people expect. But so the most common themes we hear about, perhaps around mental health and illness, isolation and loneliness, concerns around family and also physical health. But I think the particular challenges that some people want to talk to us about rather than a friend or family, perhaps the stigmatised issues. So that might be anything to do with sexuality or gender, Um, Some people might be in a domestic violence situation, um, experiencing postnatal depression, struggling with debt or gambling, all these kind of things which perhaps they might be embarrassed or ashamed about or don't know who else to really talk about. Did the kind of calls you were getting change during the pandemic? Yes, so some of the type of mentions did alter during the pandemic. Particularly, we saw the most noticeable increase around loneliness and isolation which is perhaps completely understandable given sort of 
social restrictions and lockdowns. Um, but this increased to almost two and a half times more likely than before the pandemic. Perhaps also important to say that loneliness and isolation is a recurring theme we hear about regularly. But in addition to that, calls relating to work or for students, their sort of studies, finance and unemployment, physical health and family concerns also increase significantly. And I should also highlight that calls we get can and often do actually mention more than one type of concern. One of the big things we noticed during the pandemic was the nature or the changing nature of the way people contacted us. And the most stark change was a 30% increase in the number of emails we received. And I think that's because people didn't want to be overheard if they were living in sort of cramped or just any kind of lockdown arrangement with friends, flatmates, housemates. It was all, everyone was on top of each other. And obviously you can't overhear an email. So I think people chose that sort of bit more privacy with whichever challenges they were facing. And younger people tend anyway to talk less on the phone, don't they? Is that a challenge for the Samaritans model of which historically has been talking to people? Great question. And also it's a very important trend that we are aware of. Perhaps should mention that we don't actively advertise our services to under 18s. There are obviously other support organisations available who have that expertise for this particular demographic who kind of have unique challenges. Uh, but we would support anyone if they did contact us. So yeah, we are obviously synonymous with our phone support, 116, 123. But we have various other support methods that people are welcome to use. So we, we recently launched a self-help app in the last few years. And obviously, social media is a massively important tool for a lot of people, but particularly young people. And we don't provide official emotional support through our social media channels, but it is a really important source of promoting self-care, well-being tips, and spreading awareness of the support we provide and other organisations. I also just wanted to highlight, this is remarkably old-fashioned perhaps, but we also have a letter-writing service, but that is surprisingly popular among young people who choose to write in and sort of get help that way. And finally, I just wanted to say we're also piloting a new online support service. Uh, it's not fully functional yet, but it'll be coming in the near future, which I'm sure will help a lot of people. It's an it's a irony, irony, really, that Christmas, Christmas is a time when people, people often, often feel, feel particularly, particularly lonely. lonely. It's cold, there's a lack of routines. What's the Samaritan's message to people who might be feeling especially alone this Christmas? Yeah, well, it's it's such a great point. And again, on loneliness, we do see an increase in the number of mentions around Christmas. I think our main message is don't feel ashamed. If you are struggling at Christmas, there are plenty of reasons why you might be. For example, whatever you face, whatever challenges you're facing during the year, don't necessarily go away just because it's Christmas. Added financial stress or concerns on top of the cost of living. Uh, you might be forced to spend time with family or friends who you're not comfortable around. You might not celebrate Christmas and you feel kind of othered or isolated in that way. So there are plenty of reasons why we understand why you might not enjoy Christmas or struggle at this point. So would 100% recommend anyone to reach out to us if you are struggling. And our support is there 24-7. So if at any time, even in the small hours you need someone to talk to, we will be there. Joe, thank you so much. Thank you. And you can reach the Samaritans at samaritans.org.
We will be donating all the advertising revenue from this episode of The Bunker to the three charities we've talked to. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. And from me and everyone at Podmasters, have a peaceful and happy Christmas. We'll be taking a break over Christmas and the New Year, but we'll be sharing some vintage Bunker interviews with you over the break, so look out for those. See you again in the New Year. Daily was written and presented by Roz Taylor. The producers were Alex Reese and Jack Gerbertson, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. The group editor was Andrew Harrison, and our marketing manager is Gina Richard. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>